What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Stacy Jones, a hell of a drummer, frontman, guitarist, singer, producer, and musical director. He's basically a working creative through and through, and he's currently the musical director and drummer for Miley Cyrus, the primary singer, songwriter, rhythm guitarist for American Hi-Fi, and the drummer for Matchbox 20 and Letters to Cleo. As a musical director, he's also worked with Olivia Rodrigo, Demi Lovato, The Chainsmokers, Logic and Ryan Tedder, Noah Cyrus, Troy Sivan, Five Seconds of Summer, many more. And I'm just going to ramble off a bunch of the names he's also worked with. Veruca Salt, Madonna, Everclear, Avril Lavigne, Ariana Grande, Joan Jett, The Flaming Lips, Sheryl Crow, Butch Walker. I mean, yeah, get your notepads out for this one. This dude not only holds the drum seat, but he also hires drummers so he knows what works and what will get you paid. So can't say enough good things about him. He's got an amazing youthful energy. And please enjoy the five records that shape Stacy Jones into the drummer he is today. Cheers. So what was your mindset or plan of attack when approaching these five records that I asked you to fill out? Well, first of all, I was like, how am I going to distill this down to five? Because I have, you know, there, there's like a few people in my life that are drummers that are no brainers. That was like, okay, yeah, like Steve Jordan's going to be on there. Jeff Ricaro is going to be on there. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, then there's like 20 others that are like, have really you know, shaped me. And, and I think one of the challenges for me too, was figuring out who shaped me when I was 12, 13, 14, and what that did versus when I was 20, when I was 30, when I now being 52, I just turned 52. Like I'm still learning, you know, I'm still going to the woodshed and trying to play like my idols, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of those people have remained constant, you know, Jeff, Steve Jordan, Charlie Drayton, um, Josh Freeze has always been a big influence on me since I first heard him when we were kids, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always trying, you know, there's a there's a Nine Inch Nails song called Letting You. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but if you ever watched Josh play that live, it's like bananas. I don't know how he does it. I've been trying to do it for like 15 years. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I can get like three quarters of the way through the song and then my arms fall off. Like I'm always, I'm always trying to evolve and I'm always trying to like work on my craft. It's one of the things I really love about being a drummer is practicing. I love that whole, you know, I love the whole process. But anyway, to try to pick five records, songs, drummers, it was nearly the, like I said, two were easy. And then the the other three, I was like, it took me out. I like, I almost sent it to you. And then I was like, oh, I wait, no, I can't, I got to switch that. And you know. So I try. I did my best. It yeah. wasn't easy. Well, I'm looking at your choices. You did great. So there's definitely ones that I want to hear more about uh, that I love, and I want to hear your perspective. And then there's drummers that I've never heard of uh, with the first one. But before we go into that, the reason, or one of the many reasons why I was excited to have you on is because your perspective is a little unique. You are also a front man. You're also an MD. You're also an incredible drummer. It, not in that order and in any particular <laughs> way. But um for the drummers listening, what do you look for when working with a drummer, hiring a drummer? Right. Great question. Um, pocket, feel, uh, sound, the sound that you get out of the instrument. There's, you know, I'm sure you've seen it too. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have great energy and they hit really hard and, you know, which is, you know, which I like, I, I, I love that. 
but they don't always, you know, the sound or the feel of the pocket coming back isn't always great. You know, sometimes people are really smashing the cymbals and it's just this kind of like high end thing. And then you don't, you don't get that weight, you know? So I like drummers that have that weight, Mm. you know, John Bonham, Dave Grohl, those are guys that have just, just a huge feel. Abe, it's just like rock solid, but it also has that swagger and it has that like in the cracks feel, which is something I really also love. For me, when I have to try to play straight eights, like I really have to focus to do that because my natural tendency, I'll start swinging shit, you know, <laughs> whether it's like my right hand or my foot. And it's just, I can't, I can't control it. That's kind of my natural feel. And you know, Greg Bissonette is a is a good friend of mine and somebody that I've taken lessons from for years and years and years. And I remember one of the first times I was I was studying with him, I was over at his house and we were talking about it. And I said, man, you know, I really, I really want to be able to like lock it in straight. And he's like, fuck that, man. No, you don't. He's like, that's what that's what makes you you is that you have that kind of lope. You have that sort of thing that you do. And he's like, that's what Ringo does. You know, he's like, that's what Steve Jordan does. And, you know, he started naming all these people. And that really helped me because obviously there are times, especially on the Miley show or a show where I'm playing where there's tracks and a click and, you know, I've got to try to get on the grid. You know, I can do it and I focus on it and I can make it happen. But it's not it's not my natural feel. You know, my natural feel is kind of a little more loose. So I, I so I tend to gravitate towards drummers that also play like that you know, when I'm, when I'm hiring someone, um, again, depend, it depends on the show, depends on the artist, you know, someone that's playing with Troy Sivan, which, you know, my friend Adam Criscow did that and was phenomenal on that. There's a lot of electronics. There's a lot of sounds where you're playing backbeats, but there's also tons of shit on track. So, you know, you've got to be, you got to be a little more locked in. And Adam is one of those players that he can do that but also there's a little, you know, swag in there too, which, so that, that's something I always look for. Great. Well, Adam's a great, uh, archetype for a hireable drummer for sure. Totally super versatile, you know, and that's, that's the other thing being, you know, versatility is important too, because some artists now, you know, their, their catalogs are, can be really diverse. You know, there's like from, from album one to album five, they, you know, look at Miley, look at the changes that she's gone through and mm-hmm. all the different styles that, that we've played with her over the years. Um, a lot of the artists that I work with are like that. And, you know, they, they're influenced by so many different things that they may have one track that's hip hop and on the grid. And then another track that's like a straight pop thing, something that's like a throwback to the fifties with a horn section. So you, so versatility is important too. I love it. And talking about feel, we can jump into your first one. The guitarist of this uh, project has feel for days. He's the definition of that. So it is uh, Talk is Cheap. The artist is Keith Richards, who I was referring to. The song choice is Take It So Hard. And you already mentioned this guy's name, but it's Charlie Drayton. So I don't know much about Charlie. So please take it away. And then we'll listen to uh, a minute or so of this song that you chose. So Charlie is one of my one of my favorite players. He uh, is a drummer. He also plays bass. So in the when Keith when this record came out, it blew my mind because I'm a huge Stones fan. I'm a huge Steve Jordan, Charlie uh, Drayton fan, and so so Steve and Charlie are both in this band, which they called the Expensive Winos, and <laughs> they they took turns playing bass and drums. Now Steve played most of the drums. 
on this stuff, but occasionally Charlie would step in and Steve would play bass. Mm. And this is one of those songs. And it's just like, this song is so weird to me because the, like the way they get, we were trying to play this at rehearsal the other day with the Miley band, I put it on. And it's like the way they go into the chorus, it's like, it's so weird how they go in because there's not a definitive, like, here's the one, here's the start of the chorus. It's like they sort of creep in and everyone's kind of there, but you get the sense that in the studio they were following Keith. And this was like, everyone was just set up in the room live and they're like watching Keith. And like, when he goes for that one chord, it's like, oh shit, now we're in the chorus. Cause it's like, everyone feels like they're kind of just a little bit behind where they're supposed to be. And that's what makes this track so elusive to me. There's also a fill at the end of the song where Charlie just, you know, they're kind of going into the outro and Charlie just goes, Fuckle, and it's like, it's just like the gnarliest, deepest, like, fuck you, here we go. <laughs> and, and it's so, and again, it's like, it's simple. It's not like some kind of like drum gymnastics, but it's just like the feel behind it and the energy and the intention is like otherworldly. One thing I want people to know too is when, when he's playing this groove, you can't to you can't totally hear it uh, on the record. But if you watch them live, Charlie and Steve both do that thing where they where they play like two hands at the same time, kind of you know, sort of on the hi hat, and the the left hand is kind of always going, and so they're go they're ghosting the note before the backbeat and after the backbeat, and like that's something I've worked on my whole life. That's that that kind of feel if you can make that work is one of the, to me, that's one of the hardest things on the instrument. It's like being able to do that two handed feel, whether it's a shuffle or a straight thing and like making it really sit and sing and feel great. And that's one of the things he's doing on this track. All right, here we go. Like how do they even come in there? You know? Yeah. Like, where's the one? I have no idea. It's that snare sound. It's like that signature crack. Oh, yeah. I think Liberty DeVito calls that the cocaine snare. Yeah. <laughs> Now we're in the chorus. How did we get there? I don't know. It kind of pulls back right there, you know, yeah. the time pulls back. I love that. All right, now we're in the second chorus. Oh, that fill going in there, so nice. All right, let's, let's fast forward to the end here. Yeah, it's coming out of this. Okay. Just nasty. It's just nasty the way he throws that in there. Nasty. That is awesome. Oh. 
And it's like that that kind of thing where you know it was just like the five dudes in there making that record, you know, at the same time. There's probably a lot of eye contact. There's a, probably a lot of like just follow Keith, whatever he does, you know. And that riff, it's 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 so sort of ambiguous in terms of where where the riff starts and where it restarts. And it's just it's so cool to me. Now, one other one other thing I want to say, there was a, there's another song on this record that I was going to put on, which is the first track, which is called Big Enough. And um, it's that's Steve on drums, Charlie on bass. And it's another one of those like elusive grooves. Like I think Steve is playing like a rods kind of thing in his right hand on the floor tom. And then is just playing that classic crack on the snare for the backbeat. And uh, it's just another groove and feel that is just like, to me is incredible. So everybody should check that too. Well, you know what? There's no rules. So let's just go ahead and play. Uh, let's play that song as well. Great. So yeah, the yeah. song is uh, big enough. Here you go. I think that's Bootsy on bass, actually. Oh, wow. Whoever it is on bass is grooving. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Bootsy. I think Bootsy's on there. I think Maceo Parker is on this as well. And that's just that feel again. It's like, is he swinging that right hand or is it straight? It's kind of in the middle, you know? That's the shit I love is just the, the subtlety and the things that people do that probably not everyone on the planet even notices, but it just makes like, it's those things that like, just make that undercurrent really like connect. All right. So number two is the album four Toto four by the artist Toto and the song choices make believe. And the drummer is Jeff Picaro. So take it away. Okay, so obviously Rosanna is on this album, and that is a groove that Jeff is obviously you know known for, and that is one of the one of the greatest drum performances of all time, and a great and a great song. This song, make believe, I I, I don't want to say this groove is harder than Rosanna, but there's something about when I first went to play this groove when I was probably in high school, and it just felt like it wasn't in my body, you know? And so I worked for a long time to try to get this kind of feel in. It's one of those like shuffly kind of things that, that Jeff is so great at. And you hear, you know, anytime you hear him playing this kind of groove, it's like, you know, that's him. So I chose make believe over Rosanna just because I feel like somehow there, this one is harder. I think, I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. You know, maybe we can, we can take a poll. Okay. All right. Well, here's make believe. Gotta have that sax solo. Oh yeah. Getting that bass drum to sit like that is 
hard, I think. Absolutely. It's kind of like hold the line, but a different different version. And you know he's doing all the bass room is really busy. There's a lot going on down there. You don't hear all of them. Some of them are ghosted. That's and that's hard to make that feel good. I feel like this groove and this song kind of unlocked something for me when I, I don't want to say I mastered it, but when I got it, when I got it sort of in my hands, I feel like it unlocked something for me in the universe of drumming. And nobody plays this groove anymore, ever. I don't, I like in 20, I don't think I've ever played this kind of groove on a song with any artist, basically. It's very, it feels very 80s. Definitely. Yeah, Jeff's Jeff's the man. He's he's not talked about enough on this podcast, but uh, you know he's the artist. Really, that's shocking. I don't know if it's because. And by the way, I love I, which I believe is your next your next choice. You just said it because it, it 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 feels good for you. But some people avoid certain drummers because I think they want to be cooler or want to be more unique. I don't know, but it's like talk about them, or else in thirty years no one's talking about them because they don't think they should talk about them. You know, so. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because I was like, I was thinking that because, you know, when you're asked a lot of times as an artist or whatever, I get asked to like curate some kind of playlist or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, you know, do I want to, do I want everyone to think I'm cool and have Sonic Youth and Pavement on there (laughs) and whatever? And it's like, and it's like, yeah, of course, you know, but at the same time, you know, you have to be honest and, just to be clear, Sonic Youth and Pavement are two of my favorite bands. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, whatever, Yola Tango or whatever, you know, it's like you're going to like curate this like uber hipster, like credibility, you know, playlist or be honest about exactly what, you know, moves you. And it's like, obviously, Toto isn't like the coolest band on the planet. But Jeff's drumming, again, like like Steve, like Charlie, like these are people that though their drumming just speaks to me and and spoke to me at a certain point in my life and still does and you know i remember when i was in high school the 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 popular drummers were if you were like sort of in the drum community were like dave you know weckel vinny like that was that was really happening when i was in high school and college and you know i tried to do some of that stuff and like yeah i could pull off a couple things here or there but there's no way you know that that kind of drumming, again, that kind of drumming isn't in my body. I didn't grow up listening to jazz. I didn't grow up listening to Tony Williams. I came to that stuff later in life. I grew up listening to Ringo and Charlie Watts and Mick Fleetwood, you know, people that my parents listened to, the Eagles, Don Henley. I was listening to an Eagles record recently, and I was like, holy shit, I think Don Henley is a big influence on me. And I didn't realize that, but you know, those records were always, my parents had a great taste in music, thankfully. So I came up listening to that stuff. And then when I started making my own choices for music, it was Kiss because my older cousin turned me on to Kiss. And then, um, then I started in with, you know, Motley Crue and all of that. And then that sort of went, and I went from there to U2 
and the police and in excess, you know, I went to, I was kind of, I was in that world for a little while. Um, and then that's when I, and then in high school, I, when I started taking drum lessons, I studied with this guy in Houston, uh, named Mike Lefebvre. He was like this kick-ass bebop drummer. We, we, he had this little, tiny little studio in the back of a drum shop in Houston, no windows, no nothing. And two drum sets just crammed right next to each other. And like this dude would just chain smoke the whole fucking lesson. And like, you know, I was just like, oh, every time I was like walked out of there, I was like, I, you know, I needed like new lungs. And but he was one of the guys that was like, you know, I was trying to learn this jazz stuff. And he was he was so good. at I me. Mean, he would sit there with a cigarette dangling out of his mouth and just like crushing, crushing shit. He was one of the guys that said, hey, you know, you have a really good feel. You know, you should like start leaning in on that. You know, that's what you're, you're good at. This is not for you. You're not going to play, you're not going to be a jazz drummer. You know what I mean? And I really appreciated that honesty because like, I didn't want to be a jazz drummer. And I was kind of, I was, I was sort of doing that just because I thought I had to, I was going to go to Berkeley. You know, I thought, okay, I've got to like, you know, I got to get my jazz chops in order. And what I found out was, especially after I got to Berkeley, I was sort of busier, quote unquote, as a as a drummer at Berkeley than a lot of other people because I just played the pocket. And so the recording studio, the Berkeley has a great recording program. It's even better now than when I was there. And I was in those studios every night playing on projects for for people because you know if you're an MP&E student, you have to do all these recording projects for the year. So I ended up getting, you know, called as a, I ended up becoming kind of like a session guy at Berkeley, you know, and it was, it, I, I do think that my, that the fact that I approached things sort of simply, I played the song, a lot of the, a lot of the music I played on were, were singers and, you know, with a horn section kind of R and B um, and, and I just played, I just played the pocket and people liked that and, and I didn't get in the way. I wasn't trying to throw all these licks in and stuff. And, uh, and so I, my, the phone kept ringing, you know? And, and so that was a valuable lesson. I think early on for me was I became a song drummer. And I guess that's, that's something that I look for also when I'm, when I'm hiring drummers is people that I really learned. And I think even to this day, I really play off the vocal a lot. Um, because I think that, when you listen to a record, whether it's a new production from today or something from, you know, the, from Memphis in the fifties, the things that are really the focal points of the record are the vocal and the lyric and the melody. And then like the snare sound, you know, it's such a big part of kind of what is the, you know, the, the footprint of a, of a production. I learned that the snare sound, the way you tuned it, the way you played it, against the vocal was sort of, you know, sort of a big piece of that puzzle of kind of making good records. And to go back to what you were saying about, you know, just leaning into who you are as a player, I struggle with that a lot. I know almost every drummer I talk to struggles with it, especially the working drummers, because you don't want to be able to, you don't want to be in a studio situation and be like, I don't know how to do that. It's hard to know where to let certain things atrophy. Because as you get, you know, you grow up and like you said, you want to learn everything. I want to be able to do this and this and all this independence. And then you're like, but what if I just double down on what I do? But that you have to consciously then walk away from certain things. They're going to be like, I can't do this thing, which is a scary thing to say. 
Totally. And, 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 you know, to be clear, like I still, I still work on shit. Like I have a, you know, I have a space over uh, with Adam Priscow actually, and Matt Musty. I have a drum set over in a room with those guys. And I still go over there like last week or two weeks ago, I was in there with um, the uh, John Patitucci's first solo album, you know, who's like this like bass player from Chakri electric band. And I'm still trying to play along to that shit that I, you know, that I did 20 years ago. And just because it's, you know, again, it's good to like, it's good to know. And especially when you get older, it's good to sort of know what to lean in on as a professional in terms of what you can do, what you can't do. You know, I know there are certain gigs that if someone called me, I'd be like, you know, no, like I'm not, I can't, I can't do that gig. Like, could I, could I do the gig? Yes. I could probably do it. Would I sound awesome on it? Like a hundred percent of the time? No, I could probably, I could probably pull off 80%. And, uh, you know, it's like, you don't really, I guess I don't, I'm not the type of, uh, I don't have the type of personality that would be okay with that. You know, I still, I still listen to board tapes every night when I'm on tour. I critique every fucking note. I'm like, oh, I was a little late there. I was ahead there, you know, and by the way, that's not healthy either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, at a, you know, it's a, at a certain point you have to go, okay, you have to sort of <laughs> let it go. But um, to your point, just recently, I think it, it was Jeff Percaro. I either was reading about or I had gone down some kind of YouTube uh, wormhole and saw that he was at a he someone hired him for a session back in the day. And he was in the studio and he was like, I like I can't play this like you you should call Keltner. You know what I mean? Mm. And like having that kind of self-awareness, especially for somebody on that level. I was like, wow, I, I, you know, I was surprised that that he would say that and do that and admit that, you know, because I think I'm I, I'm the same way. Like, if you know, I'd be like, call call Josh, you know what I mean? Like, he'll yeah. he can do that. You know, I can't do that. There's some drummers that can play fucking everything. Greg Bissonette is one of them. That he can play every style so authentically. It's like it's insane. I mean, I'll be in there with him, and he's like playing this like. Stanton Moore, New Orleans, like just like the swampiest fucking groove. And I'm, and then he'll be like, oh, and then check this out. And it's like some double bass technical, you know, totally on the grid prog rock thing. And you're just like, how the fuck are you doing that? Well, and then I was just reading an article maybe a few months ago about the uh, five records you probably didn't know Josh Freese played on. And it was like Michael Buble and all the, I'm just like, I, I mean, that's not like, you know, super bebop improvisational jazz, but it's still, I didn't immediately go, oh, Josh Freese probably played that. You know, it's, he's all over the place too. But all right, number three, the album is Nevermind. The artist is Nirvana. Song choice is Smells Like Teen Spirit and Mr. Mr. Dave Grohl. So yeah, take it away. I mean, so this was one of those things where I remember where I was when I saw this video, I was in Boston. I was in my friend, my friend lived in this shitty basement apartment uh, in the Fenway. It was like, it was so dark. There were hardly any windows. And, but that was the place we used to hang because he had, it was, it was a big space. So we had like a drum set in there and stuff and we could make noise in there. And so we just hang out and watch MTV and drink beers and whatever. And I remember we were watching 120 minutes and which was, you know, the, I'm dating myself here, obviously, but this was, uh, you know, the, the alternative show on MTV. And 
they were like, here's this band out of Seattle, Nirvana or whatever. And we had never heard them. I wasn't hip to Bleach. I wasn't cool enough to know that, that Bleach existed. So, you know, the first time I heard Nirvana was Smells Like Teen Spirit on MTV. And the minute that that drum fill comes in off the top, I mean, it's, undeni it's undeniable. And then also I was watching these guys. And at the time I was playing in alternative bands and I was like, these guys are like us. We dress like that. That's my hair looks like that. You know what I mean? Like we are, we're trying to play music like that, you know? And it was almost like, it was like one of us made it or something. You know, there was this sense of like all, everyone in the room, we are all musicians and we are all doing the same thing. We are all playing these like shitty punk rock clubs in Boston, you know, and going out every night to see bands. And when that hit, we were just like, oh my God, it was like the floodgates opened for people like us in a way, you know, and that record changed my life. And the way that Dave plays on that record, he's a song drummer and the fills, the grooves, every, I'm the same way. Like I, my drum parts are really thought out, even in a live setting. I play the same fills basically every night in different places in the song, which by the way, pro tip for drummers out there, lighting directors will love you if you play the same fills every night because you'll start to see as the tour goes on every time you play a snare fill you know the lights start strobing when you do that or the or this lights will hit you at a certain spot if you have a bitch and fill so anyway part of being in a in a in a pop show is doing that i just i love the way the drums are are orchestrated on this record and you know dave is one of those players that again has that feel has that heavy foot and just has that sort of deep pocket that uh just resonated for me, you know, from the get-go. Now, granted, I I really love his drumming on In Utero, probably better than Nevermind, but I went with Nevermind because just the impact that that whole thing had on me as a drummer, as a musician, and like the scene that I was in, it was just like all of a sudden, holy shit, you know, all, we all started getting record deals and, and going on tour and it was incredible. And so it was just like a moment that I lived through that really changed my life. We were, like I said, we were in, we were influenced by bands in Boston, like the Pixies, the Lemonheads, um, Blake Babies. You know, there was a very cool scene in Boston. And, but at the same time, the bands that were really popular, it was still like those Sunset Strip, you know, 80s kind of, and like Guns N' Roses, I removed from that because they, Appetite for Destruction is fucking awesome. And, and by the way, so, so were a lot of those Sunset Strip bands, but it was kind of the tail end of that, of that world. And by the way, I love Motley Crue. That, I, I really struggled with not putting Shout at the Devil on my top five because, I mean, Tommy Lee influenced me so much as a kid, as a player. Um, but, but anyway, yes, Nirvana really blew, for, for, for me and my friends and our, our sort of community, just blew the doors off what was possible um, to in terms of having a career a career in music. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, no one's going to be upset that I'm going to play Smells Like Teen Spirit right now. So here we go. Do it.
just the simplicity of the song and the production. I mean, Butch Vig crushed it. And then I like how halfway through this, the bass drum gets a little busier, but it's just like that subtle yeah. subconscious buildup. That's the shit, man. I love that stuff. This fill in the chorus too with the yeah, it's dope. I still don't know how he plays yeah. that. I just learned it recently. I'm actually using it in the in the As new Miley should. show. Right here. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Here's a, uh, a, a little side note is uh, when I auditioned for uh, Veruca Salt, I played drums in Veruca Salt on their second album uh, during their, I should say during their second album and during all that touring. Uh, there were, they, we were friends because our, our, I was in a band before that, that we toured together a lot and just, we played a lot of festivals together. So we were kind of aware of each other. And so when Jim left, left Veruca Salt, they called me and said, Hey, you know, we, we'd like you to come, you know, be in the band. And it was, it was kind of a, you know, loose audition process or a couple other guys that auditioned. Um, but when I went to Chicago to play with them and when I, when I walked in the room to audition, Dave Grohl was just chilling, laying, laying on the couch while I did my audition. <laughs> oh, Jesus, dude. <laughs> so not like, not like any pressure involved there at all, you know. Did you talk to him afterwards? I mean, you try. Yeah, yeah, he was like, this is, he, I, my memory is terrible. In fact, my wife was just giving me shit about it this morning. But, and I saw, I, I saw Dave recently and we talked about this and he was like, oh yeah, I remember that. He was so we we both think that he after I was done he got up off the couch and was like this guy this is the guy hell yeah <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not uh, Dave seems to recall that as well um, but uh, but you know we're both old now so who knows all right so number four the album is Continuum the artist is John Mayer the song choice is Vultures and Mr Steve Jordan on drums so yeah take it away I mean. That you know, so not only is do I love the production on this record as a as a producer and just music lover, um, it like the the snare sound. Shout out to Big Fat on this. You know, that's my favorite. My favorite snare sound is that as much as I love Steve Jordan and he's known for that high crack. Mm -hmm. My favorite sound and the sound that resonates with me the most is that mushy, big fat no pun intended, 70s kind of mush. You know, I love I love that. And in fact, you know, I'm doing this, um, I'm working on the New Year's Eve show right now with Miley. I've lately in her shows, I've been switching snares. I hate playing with a side snare because it's just like, it never feels right to me to have that over there. So I started getting to the point where I was like, I'm switching snares like, every, like sometimes every song I'm switching snares. So I got my, my, my tech is right behind me and we're like, you know, and because the snare sound is so important to the song, like I said, and I, I, I have gotten to a point in my life where I can't play a whole show with the same snare sound. It just doesn't work for me. Um, so, you know, I've got a few different things. I've got like a, I've got like an old 
Ludwig that's like a 13 wood drum that's probably 13 by five or something. And I tune that really high. So that's that high pitch kind of crack if I want that. Um, I've got like my DW nickel over brass. That's kind of like my mid range kind of snare that I can either, I either throw one of the, I either throw a big fat on that or I'll take it off and just put a moon gel on there. And so there's that kind of medium snare sound. And then I lately I've been using, um, I have a uh, Ludwig Black Beauty that I bought off Victor and Drizzo, actually, another one of my favorite drummers. Um, and I use the big fat on that, and it's just like fucking butter. And our, like, and our front of house guy loves it. And I'm using that on, I'd say, 98% of this show on NBC coming up, which I think is so rad. I don't think many uh, New Year's Eve shows that night are going to have that snare sound throughout. I mean, thank you a million times over, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, send a, I'll, I'll send a picture. Please do, yeah. You know, I've gotten to also to the point in my life and, and because I'm old and I'm just kind of, you know, I, I've always treated the drums as a bit of a contact sport. And I'm realizing that you don't have to do that. And I don't anymore. And it's better on my neck and my body. And I, you know, I don't feel like I got run over by a truck the next day. And, um, and so I've gotten to where I can use that big fat and I can still hit, you know, like there's some songs where I just hit the middle. I don't hit rim shots at all. Right. And that, that gives you that to me, that's the optimum sort of giant snare sound. But there are a few tunes where I am hitting rim shots with it. And if you don't, if you're not crushing the drum, it's still, and you, if you have the drum tuned properly, um, it still resonates beautifully and like has, has a certain character and like, there's just something about the way that the drum feels to me with that with that big fat ring on there that like is I I love it. I can't I can't get enough. Damn, dude. Well, your checks in the mail right now. This is a good awesome. endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. I mean, it changed because I used to make those. I used to, you know, I would cut out, you know, I'd have my drum tech cut out old drum heads and put sure. and just never it was, you know, you could get something that sort of sounded good. Uh, you know, I'd throw, put my wallet on there. It always falls off. I'd put, um, you know, get a tape, a bandana to it. It's like, you know, duct tape all over it. It's like that works, yeah. you know, but, uh, but there's something about the way that the drum resonates with that on and the rebound that the stick gets and like the way you can kind of like dig into it. It's just like, I really suits my playing. And the durability too. It's just, if you do an old head or whatever, then you have to take the tape off and then you have an old rag. It's just, it's just the same thing on and off. Um, totally. But, yep. but yeah, I mean, Hey, I could talk about this all day, but the Steve Jordan yes. snare, what, what on continuum? Yes. So, okay. So what did I choose? I chose vultures, right? Yes. I mean, it's another tough one is there's so many great tracks on this, on this album, Yeah. but it's like, to me, this record overall is again, the epitome of, playing for the song and supporting what what's going on musically in a way that really provides like this this beautiful kind of pocket and and sort of warm blanket you know for the record to kind of happen over mm -hmm. um and uh just this the, the 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 playing that he does on this record the sounds and, you know, he produced the record as well. Um, to me, 
it's a it's a bit of a uh, master class in in pop drumming. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, here we go. Here's Vultures. Again, I could have I could have gone for you know I could have said something from like the war on drugs you know or some, for cred, but instead I went John Mayer because this this record <laughs> yeah. this record meant a lot to me. It still means a lot to me. I mean, this is good songwriting, hundred percent. And yeah, of course, I mean Steve's producing it too. He's a he's a madman. All right, so number five, the album is Twice Removed. I don't know this artist, and I'm embarrassed because I was listening to it a little bit beforehand. They're great. So Sloan is the artist. The song choice is Pen Pals, and the drummer is Andrew Scott, a guy I know nothing about. So please take it away. All right. So Sloan, call your bandmate uh, Max and ask him about Sloan. Okay. Um, he will. He he knows. So Sloan is a band that came out of that early '90s kind of alternative scene, and. If you listen to their first record, it was very much Nirvana-esque. You know, it was like big guitars, big drums. They had a song called Underwhelmed that was kind of a, you know, a, a regional. I don't know, it was regional. It was, like a, it was like a hit on 120 Minutes. So the thing that I think everyone realized right away when we all heard Sloan, they're from, they're from Canada, was that these guys were really smart and great, like pop craft tunesmith type dudes right and you know i i i put them in the same category as a band like fountains of wayne which is another you know one of my mm. one of my favorite bands one of the best of all time godspeed adam yes um one of the best so i think like we saw i saw sloan play at a club in boston they had these tuesday night like shows at bill's bar on lansdowne street right across from fenway park and, you know, there were maybe 10 people in the room when these guys played. And, you know, all everyone in the room was a musician. And we were all like, holy shit, who are these guys? And 
So that record, that first album went on to to do pretty well for them. And the 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 next album came out a few years later, which is twice removed. And it was like, if you listen to the two of them, it's a huge departure. So they went, they they sort of went from that big, noisy kind of Don Fleming style production to this really small, intimate sounding um, kind of vintagey drums, everything very like warm and kind of dry. Um, and it's a really, it's a really great record uh, on the production tip um, as well. But Andrew is to me, he's one of my favorite drummers um, and he's got the perfect, he's the, he's a blend of like Charlie Watts, Keith Moon and Ringo. And I think, I think he really embodies those, those three guys. And there are times that he plays with that recklessness that Keith Moon plays with. He's got that swing that Ringo has. He does that sort of lope that Charlie does. So it's kind of like he's, he really like brings those three guys together in a way that I've never heard an, another drummer do. And I think Andrew has a really unique voice on the drums because of that. Wow. All right, here's here's Pen Pals, which is the first song on the record. And these guys are still active and still making great records and and crushing crushing it. I saw them play uh, in L.A. at the Echo right like right before COVID, and uh, they were just like as fucking great as ever. Like, can you can we play another song by them? Of course. From a from a can we from a different record? Yeah, sure. Play the good in everyone. Okay. So this is like I don't know how the fuck they they got this, but the, this drum intro and then the way they go into the song is incredible. Check this out. All right, here we go. Oh, that's awesome. So good. 
It's like these drums sound like they were recorded in a garage. And it's just like, there's, there's again, it's like he has that thing that, you know, there's, I was talking about this with somebody the other night. We were just talking about, there's so many drummers out there that are technically really proficient and like, you know, whatever, you know, incredible. And I always respect those people and respect their craft, but they don't, they don't speak to me, you know, for whatever reason. Like, I just like, you know, people are be flipping out about somebody on Instagram and I'll watch and I'm just like, yeah, cool. Like, yes, that person is technically a great drummer and I can't, I can't do that, but I don't want, I don't want to listen to it. You know, it doesn't like, it doesn't, it doesn't hit me here. And Andrew's one of those guys that like has always hit me just like, just like Jeff, Tommy Lee, you know, whoever, like it just, he just like has that, um, there's an emotion in his playing that I really connect with. Yeah. The older I get, the less I care about being a tight drummer. It's about better choices. Uh, like, like Steven, Steven Morris from new order. I mean this with all due respect. I've never heard him and been amazed by his technicality, but the things he does are just like, wow, man, I would have never thought of that. It's not necessarily tight. There's flaming all over the place, but that's why I love right. it. Totally. But, uh, and there's just some things that like, yeah, Steve Jordan does that. Steve Jordan, there's a lot of times when he's playing four on the floor or something and he flams kind of with his snare and his bass drum and not all the time, just sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I do that too. I hear myself do that all the time. Again, I was Greg Bissonette, you know, sort of talked me down from, from this one where I was like, I, I made him listen to a board tape and I was like, hear that? Hear how I'm flamming my bass drum when I'm playing four on the floor? He's like, he's like, who cares? He's like, dude, he's like, Listen to fucking Jeff Percaro. He does that too. Bonham. He's like, that's those guys did that. He's like, that's how you play. Like, don't worry about it. If you're, if you're, if you're playing totally on a grid and everything is perfect, there's no, there's no, like, there's no, there's no feel to it. That's what makes you unique. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, and I, I felt better for like a day or two. And then I, I started like critiquing myself again. <laughs> of course. But, yeah. 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 Well, I was going to say, uh, it's a name drop here, but if people want to go check out this episode, I was talking to Jason McGurr from Death Cab, and there's a specific song called Classical Gas by Mason Williams, and it's uh, Jim Gordon on drums, and it's an instrumental song, and there's this one section of the song where everything drops out, and kind of this, I think it's the guitar and maybe the trumpet kind of do this little melody, and then Jim comes back on on like the uh going back into the one, but it's a little bit late. It, when I'm listening to it and I try and match how he kind of, I'm assuming it was like, they're like, this is the best take. Yeah. There's some flubs, but it's just, I, I look forward to that part of the mess up of the song where it, people aren't on the same time. Cause that's a hook in and of itself is that humanity. Totally. I mean, talk about a drummer. People don't talk about enough. Jim Gordon was like, I mean, it's a bit of a tragic story, obviously, sure, but yeah. wow. The guy was, the guy was on so many hit records and I don't, you know, I get the sense too, like to your point, like I think technically he could play a lot of shit, but mm -hmm. he was, he showed a lot of restraint in terms of what he played on those records. And that's why, again, that's why he was a first call LA studio cat, you know, mm -hmm. is that, yeah, he could probably blow some cool chops, but that's not what people wanted, you know? Yeah, and he came. He came in and provided these killer grooves and backbeats, and you know, the stuff on Steely Dan is 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 incredible. And again, about about flubs, I remember there was God. I can't remember who the artist was, but 
Abe had posted, this is years ago, Abe had posted something or I had saw, I saw him in the studio, right? He was, uh, it was like a YouTube thing. Abe's in the studio, he's playing on this track and he goes for this fill. And I was like, what the fuck? It was like a snare thing. I was like, what is that? I'm like, I'm trying to like slow it down. And, you know, I'm like, is he playing like some kind of polyrhythm, you know? Cause that's not really like, that's not his style to, to, to be that calculated, you know? And so finally I was like, fuck it. And I just called him and I was like, I was like, Hey, what, you know, what, what, what is that? You know, what is it? And he's like, he's like, Oh dude. He's like, I just, I went for something and it didn't land, but, but we liked what it did. You know what I mean? And like, that, again, it's like that. I look every time I watched that performance, I was, I looked forward to that moment. Cause I was like, Oh, here's, and I showed it to everyone. I'm like, watch this where he goes for this thing. And it's so fucking cool. Cause you can't define exactly what it is, you know, because you know, he was just going for some shit and you don't always, we don't always land them. Even the, even someone as great as Abe, you know, it's like, and that, and they kept the, and whoever the producer was, was astute enough to go, Hey, that's fucking awesome. We're keeping that, you know, those penicillin drum fills, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you're a busy guy. I know you have family in town. It is the holidays, but do a little self-promotion. What are you doing this next year that you can talk about? Because I'm sure there's things you can't yet. But uh, yes. and, then, and then I'll let you have a good holiday weekend, man. Dude, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. Ditto, um, man. I could go on for hours about this kind of stuff. Um, I will be – I'm not sure what I can say, to be honest, at the moment. <laughs> um but I will be out there next year. <laughs> and I think I saw some American Hi-Fi studio stuff. Are you guys working on some new stuff? We did. So basically, I uh, in August, I got COVID finally. Uh, I was one of the last holdouts. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and so I was like sequestered back here in my studio. And, you know, I was thankfully, I, I didn't feel that bad. So I was like doing some work and I kind of like, busted out a bunch of my guitars that had been in storage and I was like changing strings and cleaning them up and just, you know, doing some of that kind of shit. And I got this old acoustic out and, and started messing around. And I was like, Oh, this feels like a good tune. Um, so I wrote a few songs, demoed them up, sent them to the guys in uh, American hi-fi and they were like, yeah, let's, let's record these. So we did, so we did uh, record them. Haven't finished them yet. See, right now they're just sitting on a hard drive. So we'll we'll see. We were gonna do some shows next year, like Slam Dunk and things like that. And uh, and now it looks like because of my commitments, uh, we're not gonna be able to do that. So I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna do with it. I mean, that's the fun thing about American Hi-Fi is we we just kind of do stuff when it's fun, and and only if it's fun. And you know, there's a very we have a very small fan base out there that will be excited if we put a new song out, you know what I mean? And that's, and that's awesome and great. And, you know, there are people that have diehards that have been there for 20 years. And it's nice to be in that position where we can just kind of make music when we want to. And if we want to, I mean, that's the dream right there. Yeah. All right, Stacey. Well, I will let you go, man. This has been so fun, dude. I like it. I've wanted to have this happen for a while. Um, oh man. Well, thank you so much. Great, great to meet you on here. And uh, and I've, I've, I have been watching your work. Of course, you know, Eve Six are old homies of mine. Love, love those guys. Yeah, dude. Maybe we'll do a Summerland tour eventually together. Who knows? Ma I mean, honestly, like Max and I text all the time about stuff. And I'm like, here's the lineup. And I'm like this, you know, I'm like Super Dragon, Eve Six and Hi-Fi. And 
And it's like, yeah, maybe one of these days we'll actually get around to doing something. Oh, super drag would be awesome too. My God. I love them. Yeah, oh one of my God. favorites. I'll let you go, dude. But uh, again, dude, let's 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 keep chatting. But uh, I'll let you I'll let you have a good holiday, man. Thanks. Back at you, man. All right. Cheers, dude. Thanks, Ben. Bye. See ya. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.